I just had a great conversation with one of my idols uh, in the green building community that I haven't ever met until today, uh, Bruce King. Uh, Bruce has been around the green building industry for a few decades now, I would say probably, and is a huge uh, proponent of uh, carbon, you know, tracking and making sure that we're assessing the carbon weighting of products and materials that we put into the built environment. And he's actually got a new book coming out very shortly called Build Beyond Zero, which I thought was very cool given the name of this podcast, you know, Destination Zero. He's actually taking it beyond. And it's so inspirational to hear Bruce talk about the need to just kind of stop at what we're doing now, but we really got to look ahead and start changing the game now so that rules and laws take effect years from now that'll trigger how things get built in the future. Otherwise, uh, if we just stand by and do nothing, uh, nothing gets done. So great talk, great conversation with Bruce. So enjoy. Thanks. How are things up in your neck of the woods? Are you still in Marin? I am. Yeah. Yeah. You knew John Shirts. I did. I was inspired to become a green builder because because of John Schertz. I was a builder up there and building custom houses for very rich people who spent too much money on terrible things. And John swayed my thinking one day, and I didn't look back. Yeah, I've had a bit of that experience myself. Really? I resolved into a, a sort of a Robin Hood mentality. You know, I do the work for them, especially as a structural engineer. You... you Nobody wants to listen to you. You should just stay at the back of the bus and keep quiet. So, but it paid the bills, fed my children, mm-hmm. and uh, enabled me to do other stuff. <laughs> uh, and now I, I don't do that. I don't have to do that anymore. Things right. things have shifted a lot. It's great. Yeah. Now I can get paid to do the good stuff. It wasn't true up until a few years ago. Yeah, that's so cool that you're able to do that and and do what you do. I'm so inspired by everything you've done and written and the kind of the pathway you've taken. It's really cool. Well, thank you. Glad, sure. Glad it was useful. So yeah, John kind of shifted my think. I mean, I was, I'm a third generation California. So I remember my grandmother, you know, I grew up in a lumber yard, basically. My grandmother started a lumber and hardware business back in 1915. Where? Back in, uh, in in L.A., south of L.A., a little town called Carson, which was then called Keystone, which was weird. I have old pictures of just, you know, big orange groves everywhere and oil derricks. So it was just all polluted orange groves, basically. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a kid driving all the way up to Oregon with my dad in the big rig, picking up, you know, loads of lumber. And we were the only supplier in that, you know, we built a lot of Huntington Beach and Long Beach with our lumber from Uh our yard and uh and just, and just naturally just became a builder following dad's footsteps and just never looked back. I wanted to be in the film business for a while, but always fell back to being a builder because it's just kind of natural to me. And, and then one day I just stumbled on John's talk somewhere and just heard his words and go, shit, man, that's, that's it. And I'm so tired of seeing all this waste and crap and just. You know, remodeling, I had one client, Marin, we remodeled their house three times, three different kitchens within six years. And it was like sickening and just got like sickening, you know, as, as someone just not, not a total advocate of green at that time, but just was so, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. It just got kind of disgusting as a, 
as a contractor to be asked to waste that stuff on your behalf, you know, just so you can look cool to your neighbor or whatever. It was, you know, and that kind of shifted. And then I just got in a green building and started teaching it to others. And like you, it was really very small audience. But luckily in the Bay Area, it was very receptive to more people, not a lot, but more, mm-hmm. especially there in Marin, very progressive. I love that. It's still my favorite place on the planet, I think, is Marin County. Um, so but yeah, just Texas. It, uh, I'm in Alabama now, which is, I don't know if it's any better or worse than Texas, but I sure do miss California and I will be back someday, but uh, just a little life shift here and there. But yeah, that's the first time in 60 odd years I've left the state and I really miss it. And I kind of know why now it's just that the beauty of it for one and the diversity of the people and the cultures and everything and hopefully a little bit more progressive in their thinking as far as how we build, you know, and that's kind of the purpose of this show is I'm just trying to share the message of, we don't need to build like we used to, like my dad told me how to build. We don't need to do that anymore. We have science that teaches us how to build a little bit better. And people like you explore those, those avenues and really, you know, share the science behind it all. And that's what I want to share is like what, what they don't know. We get a lot of egotistical designers and builders out there and big builders. I work for big builders now and just like trying to influence them is really hard to shift that huge ship. In my latter years, I'm working with big production builders trying to help them build better boxes, you know, doing inspections and stuff and guidance from HVAC and mechanical and stuff like that. But at the same time, we have a little bit of influence on them about, you know, going forward, maybe you should think about this way or do it this way or think about this thermal envelope or this window select, you know, whatever those conversations need to be, it's, they're tricky to have because they're all about, you know, the mighty dollar and what the market's demanding. But I don't know how to make, I mean, it's, it's easy. I think for the, the one-off custom home or small community projects, than it is hundreds of thousands of units, which these guys and gals are building across the country. And I don't know if we can affect that industry or can we well that's the question isn't it um yeah and um my conclusion is that i i've I've never had a whole lot of success talking to builders either big production builders or big commercial builders (laughs) or or small i mean most homes in america built get built by small operations the somebody told me recently that the big production builders only a few percent or less than 10% anyway of the homes in America get built by the famous name, big production guys. It's mostly just small contractors. Uh, and um, one thing I never do anymore is demean their focus on cost, uh, uh, you know, the mighty dollar or, or the greed or anything like that. They're trying to make a living in a very, very hard profession. It's really hard. I don't have to tell you. And anybody who survived as a general contractor for more than a year or two has my respect because it's just really hard. And so they're not going to be inclined to try anything new that might slow them down or cost more money or become a hassle. And so I'm afraid that um, the other two avenues are, are a little more diffuse, but it's changed public perception and public expectations generate right. demand for green building, and then also work at the policy level, which is where I, I'm happy to say I'm doing now with California and, and the United right. States and 
various uh, at, at every level that I can think of um, to try to influence policy. And, and though we could get into a lot of details about how you do that with concrete or with lumber, or right, right, with energy performance, but um, it sort of comes down to putting a price on carbon, uh, as many people point out. Not not necessarily as overt and unpolitical as a tax on carbon, but you can put a price on emissions in all sorts of different ways so that it's painful to do the wrong thing and it's rewarding to do the right thing. Right. How far are, along are we on that pathway and how close are we to, I mean, I know in California, you're probably leading the way as far as those discussions on, on political forums, et cetera. And, and some of that has movement, and a lot of states are looking at California in, in that regard. How are we doing? How, how do you think we, we're faring, and what's, what do we have left to do? We're just getting started with shifting the policy environment. So it's in an infancy stage. There's a lot, a lot of work to do and a lot of heavy lifting to be done. But on the other hand, uh, it's kind of exciting to see polities at every level jumping up and saying, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Right, Whereas right. Just a few years ago, there was almost nobody. Right. And uh, I, can, I can give a few examples, but um, the awareness has fast grown. And so uh, with regards to buildings and climate and the need for uh, new policy, new regulations, new codes and standards that will drive a climate-friendly architecture rather than, um, you know, just the same old stuff, which is trashing the planet <clears throat> in all sorts of ways. So there's lots of people <clears throat> working on doing the right thing. Yeah. I've been to a few meetings lately and it seems like the, the, the government folks are a little bit younger too. So maybe that, I don't know if it's a generational thing. Maybe the, the old guard is leaving the room and the new ones are a little bit more aware and more cognizant. I don't know. It was just a, an observation. There's a bit of that throughout our and every other industry, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm i thinking of an anecdote that I'm not sure I should pass along, but <laughs> a, a very bold and cool thing that somebody did in the federal government. And, and he's not young. He's, he's a gray-haired guy. Yeah. Um, but we were in a big Zoom meeting just a few days ago with a bunch of national representatives and this talking, hashing through. We've been For two years, we've been hashing out how to change ASHRAE standards to include embodied carbon. Yeah. And um, lots that could be said about that. Right. And something will come out of that. But, um, right, right. And somebody said, oh, yeah, but by the way, the federal government's just going to do this. And everybody said, what? <laughs> you can't just do it. We have to talk about it. And, no, we, we're the federal government. We can do that. We're just going to do it. Um, so it, the... There's, there's just lots. Of, there's lots of good stories, and there's lots of bad stories. Um, it's going way too slow, for all, from what we understand of the climate science and how things are changing for the worse, much faster than anybody thought, and that gets worse and worse. Uh, um, is is that true of us as a country? Do you see that globally, or is that just indicative of the United States kind of being a little bit? So Outwardly, a lot of, a lot of uh, European countries and um, a lot of the other affluent countries are outwardly much more progressive than the mm. United States. And in many, in some ways they are, but for the most part, um, the numbers don't lie. And you look at that 
that graph of CO2 is measured at Mauna Kea, which is the baseline everybody uses. And that thing's just going like this. Had a little tiny hiccup with the 2008 recession, another tiny hiccup with the beginning of the pandemic. Right. But basically, nothing's changed. Still, right, still rising. And that's a lot of that's driven by China and India um, in the building industry and every industry. Right. And, and, and I don't know much about that from a global perspective. Are you saying that just because of their, their sheer numbers of people and how fast they are building stuff, it's just throwing more emissions into the environment? They've brought it up 2 billion people into the middle class in the last two decades. I mean, that's extraordinary what's happened in China. And uh, I, I finally went myself. Um, I had developed this uh, standard for earth and construction with ASTM, and then they wanted to show it off as some badge of sustainability or something when they were going to China to try to sell their services to the Chinese. And so they, they brought me along, and I got to go to see Beijing and Hangzhou and a few other places. It, it was jaw-dropping. Everything you hear about China is true and more. And, and it, it just, it so, it so radically shifts your perspective on what building is and what's happening right. in the world and so on. Right. You hear, you hear, for example, the oft-quoted number that Architecture 2030 and Ed Masria came up with, which is that they did the numbers and it's what we're doing right now on earth is building the equivalent of another New York City every month. An entire another New York City every month right now is happening on Earth. And we in North America say, wow, that sounds like a lot. It doesn't seem like it's that busy. Well, it's not in, in Texas or Alabama or California. Not anywhere in North America. It's all in Asia and India. And it will be in Africa soon enough. And having now visited Cairo, um, just a couple of years ago and seeing a city that was 5 million is now 25 million in just the course of a few decades splattered across the desert and it's all concrete and brick. I never saw any evidence of insulation of any sort. Um, a lot of poverty too, of course, but just, um, just, just jaw dropping. And it's an entirely different scene than what we know in North America. Right. And, and how would you even talk about building materials under those conditions? I mean, how do you even have that conversation with those governments? Well, I did. I mean, yeah. a lot of what I do is, is has to do with concrete. I mean, that's the number one building material in the world. And it's a great building material. It right. just has this huge footprint. So, uh, I mean, that's why I was invited to uh, Cairo. It was, a, it was a big international building conference, invitation only, um, put on. Well, there are just a lot of very interesting people there. And um, because I had developed this low carbon concrete building code here in Marin County, which was the first, apparently it really was, I wasn't sure at the time, but apparently it was the first time anybody had tried to address uh, climate via building code. And, uh, and so because I had a really cool, we have a cool building official here and we're having lunch one day and say, Bill, why don't we do a low carbon concrete building? Code? It's just great. And, uh, but he said, I don't know how to make it happen. It's going to take a bit of money. And I don't have any money. And they said, yeah, okay, well, too bad. And we just shot the breeze for some more. And then a few months later, I mean, everything just sort of the stars aligned and I stumbled into the right room at the right time. So often life comes down to that and the money showed up and all the 
all the parties showed up, all the stakeholders were there. We had a great process, the cement industry, the concrete industry, general contractors, engineers, concrete producers, everybody was there. And we had really productive conversations and it was amazingly smooth. So did you start and, then, at, and, and one recipe in your mind and end up with another when you all sat around the table and finally created the recipe? I don't remember how how much of a sense of what that code should look like when I started. Uh, I was I was the scribe. I mean, I sort of got the process started. And then my wonderful colleague, Kate Simonen, the founder of the Carbon Leadership Forum up in Seattle, which is like the go-to place for carbon in buildings now, Carbon Leadership Forum. Kate ran the meetings, and she's much better at it than I ever would have been. So that was a blessing. And... Um, this is a woman who's just wonderful and she's both a licensed structural engineer and a licensed architect. Now she's the head of the architecture school at university of Washington, but also running the carbon leadership forum. She's got a lot of balls in the air. Anyway. Uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what I had in mind to start, but what we ended up with, we were all happy with. And now as it's moving to a national stature with ASHRAE, the work I've been doing now with New Buildings Institute. It's taking on a much different form and much more appropriate that we'll be able to accommodate all building materials as we start to address all building materials. Most of the emissions by far are in cement and steel, but um, we're, we're going to have to cover everything. It has, it has to be equitable and fair and open and all of that. And um, and also, there's emissions in there's emissions in, throughout the construction industry that you don't know they're there until you start looking and doing the math. Right. But for the most part, it's in cement and steel. Yeah, I remember teaching green building up in Marin in the Bay Area, and, and we used to try to you know figure out ways or, or teach them you know if you're going to demo the driveway, use those for stepping stones out somewhere. You know, different ways to try to reutilize it. But then when I get deeper into your ideas, it, it all makes sense. You just re-chomp it up, use it as the aggregate. What else in the recipe is unique that uh, people might not have heard of this? Or can you share it? I don't know. I don't want to... One, I guess specifically about the low-carbon concrete, your, your kind of idea about what that looks like or should look like. Well, uh, first I should plug my book. Uh, uh, Please do. You've yeah, probably yeah. read The New Carbon Architecture came out four years ago, and its successor that I just finished writing with Chris Magwood uh, last year, it will be out in a couple of months, Build Beyond Zero. Cool. And it has a 40-page chapter that answers that question, okay. how do you make low-carbon concrete? Right. Can there, you... There's no real short answer. Okay. Um, it, it isn't even as simple as use less cement, although that's a good start. Right. Um, cement's yeah, the glue that holds. Right. We just talk about fly ash and the other additives that they could be utilizing, slag, oh, yeah. and you know, that's all I'm sure covered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Concrete is by far the most common building material in the world. It's all they use in many parts of the world, like Cairo, as I mentioned. Right. Not an unusual mega city. In India, it's all over. Concrete. And, and it's kind of important to step back and recognize that uh, concrete is just artificial rock. You take a bunch of little rocks and bind them together somehow and to make a bigger rock. That's concrete. The way, and you can do it with, with bags like tires and bags and gabions and things, but mostly we do it with glue. You glue them together. And the glue that we mostly use is Portland cement, which is limestone baked at very high temperature. And the process produces a ton of emissions for every ton of cement you make. So, 
that's a lot of emissions. Concrete itself, pound for pound, is very low carbon material, but we make 10 billion tons of it a year. That's a cube, a mile on a side. It's five times the height of the Eiffel Tower. That's a lot of concrete every year. And um, there's a lot of ways to reduce the carbon. And a lot of people working on it, high-tech solutions, low-tech solutions. It's all the buzz in the industry, the mainstream industry. It's it's what everybody's talking about, about getting their emissions down. And so um, a, a huge behemoth of an industry that doesn't, change overnight is changing about as fast as it can because it knows it has to yeah i was just going to say it sounds like the technology is ever changing so just just the plants trying to keep up with that would be a, a struggle or a challenge yeah and again it's like our conversation about about the typical home builder you don't go up to him and and, and give him shit because he's trying to keep his profit margin right um, that's going to go nowhere real fast sure no you got to bring solutions or and likewise, concrete suppliers in anywhere USA, anywhere in the world, they, um, they're they juggling a lot of balls and they're trying to get by. Right. Um, this is shining a light on that product or material so that everybody knows it, it just didn't get dug up on the hill next door. It, you know, it did this, this, this and put out this, this. So it it's like the ingredients on a cereal box to me anyway. Uh, you know, what, where did that product come from? What is, cause we used to talk about it back in the day about, you can check the life cycle. Yeah. Bullshit. You know, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't depending upon what study or site you're on. And it just got to be a show game to me anyway. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's gotten improved upon. Has it, have, have we have a better visibility or traceability of life cycle? It's perhaps a little bit like AA in that uh, the first thing, the huge thing and the first thing is to acknowledge that you've got a problem <laughs> right. until you've done that. <laughs> right. Everything is All you're going to do is, yeah. is do something to make everybody go away. And right. that's that. And the concrete industry has now, it has acknowledged it has a problem. Mm. And so now as an industry, as trade associations and as, as companies, because it's a bit of a vertical industry. The big cement companies own a lot of the concrete suppliers in different cities. And they themselves are doing a lot of research and a lot of work to transform how do we go about making artificial rock. And there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff available now. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be available in a couple of years. And there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff that'll be 10 years uh, or 20 years. I mean, eventually I'm, I'm quite confident we're going to be growing concrete. It'll be biological ah, cool. sort of microbial thing. And the, and the first signs of that are already with us. Yeah. So didn't I see like company. a mushroom brick or something that they were producing somewhere made out of? Well, yeah. Ecovative makes a uh, mushroom insulation. They, you feed um, their magic fungi formula to uh, some cellulose, like some old sawdust or old newspapers and it grows and fills a cavity ah. and it's insulation. Huh? They're not selling into the building industry right now because they encountered so many problems. They pulled back and are doing working on packaging for now. Right. But there is a company in North Carolina, Biomason, been there for, founded by Ginger Dozier, uh, a lady architect, a wonderful lady. And uh, she started Biomason, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And now she's she's doing really well. Um, they've, they've grown a lot. They've gotten a new round of, big round of funding and, contracts with the Department of Defense, and they make bricks. They make uh, biological bricks. Um, 
that um, their magic formula, which is bacteria, they can make a break. And it looks like a break. It's orange and everything. Oh, you're and, kidding. And it oh, gets, my God. It gets its full strength in just a few days. Oh, and then wow. it's ready to go. That's amazing. And now they're working on a technology uh, to um, be able to do that on site. Right now they have to do it in their factory. Um, that's still a huge market for them to sell bricks and pavers. But um, when we get to the point where we can do it on site with your own local soil, imagine a truck coming up to the job site and you just, uh, you have a backhoe and you, you scrape out your foundation uh, floor plate and then you just pour this biological, benign biological sauce in and backhoe it into the soil, come back in a couple of days later and it's a concrete foundation. Yeah, uh, so that's that's. I'm sure that's the future. Baking rocks at high temperature is not going to be around much longer. Right. We just can't do that. Yeah, and I was just going to ask. I mean, because I, you know, I was taught by my dad, who was probably taught by his dad down the line, and we're we're stuck in this kind of brick and mortar, stick and stone. This is how we build things. But I love it when people go off on a tangent and you know do a, do a hut out of this or do a this out of that you know it's not your typical and i know that's not ever going to happen or it's going to be a long road for a production builder to shift to that model or whatever but what's the coolest thing that you've seen out there that's like ah oh, that's so cool that they use that pro you know whatever their method of doing their abode uh so contrary to normal but is right on the mark or or have you yet wow my favorite uh, is when the owner of a building who can buy a bigger, better one or scrape it and build a better one doesn't and fixes up what they've got. Yeah. That is the best thing you can do for the climate, whether it's a house or a high rise. I totally building. agree with you. I was, I was um, dismayed this morning in our local paper that the Transamerica Pyramid, this iconic. Mm -hmm. Building in downtown San Francisco is getting a big makeover. They hired Norman Foster and Partners, famous British architect, who's got a neat design. He did the Apple building. He's done all sorts of famous buildings, but he hasn't. He doesn't know green from his ass. He can talk the talk, but um, the designs don't reflect any kind of knowledge of how buildings affect climate or any concern about it. And um, so they're going to spend hundred million dollars remaking this big high-rise building and they'll probably do some energy improvement but not the kind of deep retrofit that we need of pretty much every building in every downtown in the world right, right. yeah i totally agree you know, your typical city has a bunch of tall buildings in its core and then a you know a bunch of low buildings all around it and sort of big apron going all around it and uh, uh, the big buildings are only a fraction of percent of the floor space, indoor floor space in that metro area. Right. But they represent a disproportionate amount of the energy use. And so we have to get good at fixing up the big buildings and the little buildings. You as a builder know, you know, people are just routinely building really crummy buildings in North America. Wood, fr wood frame is great for earthquakes and terrible for fires. And it's forgiving and easy to... You can make lots of mistakes and it still holds together okay. But um. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, people used to ask me, you know, what's the greenest remodel I can do? I said, don't do anything. Don't spend a dime. Don't go buy a product. Don't hire anybody. Don't have anybody drive to your house. I would disagree. I would say if if you're not getting good energy performance now, then you get Well, I was a home performance contractor. Then we could move into that discussion. But if they were just trying to <laughs> green their house, buying a, a new 
whatever bamboo floor or it's like nah, let's talk about yeah, other right, things right right yeah right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we would always go in and talk about the envelope and the, how tight is the shell and how good is your insulation performing and producing CO in, yeah, in your environment. It's not so sexy to air seal your building. You'd rather put solar panels on top. I know. It was yeah, crazy. Bigger payoff. Right. Which is kind of weird because when I was got, got into green like 15 years ago in the Bay Area, was, you know, solar was like, oh, there's our magic bullet. And now it's like totally like, oh, wait a second. That's kind of not helping the other you know, parts of our population so well. So let's take another look at that. What's what, I mean, I don't want to press you into a corner, but where does that fit into the puzzle? If it does at all in, in a typical homeowner of equity, you mean? Yeah. Well, just the solar piece of the puzzle PV. Boy, a thousand things you could say about that. I know. I'm not as knowledgeable as a lot of my friends are, so I'm embarrassed to say anything. I'm sorry. I probably – I have solar panels. Right. We should probably stay in your lane. I have solar panels, (laughs) and I have an electric vehicle. Right. And, you know, you you get this little charge out of having the car out in the driveway. You're getting recharged by the sun, and so I can drive around town on solar energy. Yeah, but it took a lot of energy and metal and emissions to make those solar panels and to make that car. That doesn't mean don't do it. It means that we're just learning how to account for everything. I know. It's just a weird balancing act we have to do philosophically and whatever our moral compass is, et cetera. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah. It's a balancing act that some of us have to do and most of us never will and don't want to and don't want to be bothered about it. And so you have to – that's where it comes back to policy, Mm -hmm. uh, writing stuff that people can understand. I mean, like writing a building code for concrete. Right. We had our building official was part of the process too, which was hugely valuable because, you know, he was just telling us things that seem obvious once he says them, but we hadn't been thinking about it. He says, nobody wants more rules. Nobody wants any more rules, including us who have to enforce them. We're already trying to enforce a building code that when you include all the standards and documents that it references externally, it would, it would fill a small house when it was all printed out. I mean, it's far, far beyond anybody's ability to be really on top of. He says, we don't want any more either. So he was always pressing this simple, simple, keep it simple, get it simpler, make it really simple. And, um, and, you know, those of us who are the geeks and the engineers in the room say, well, you don't understand. It's complicated. And this dependence. Plums in the spreadsheet. Simple. Yeah. Simple. Right, right. And so you're, you're always striking that balance in trying to craft a good policy, something that it can't be cheated and gamed, at least any more than the usual amount anyway. And it will be effective and it'll move the needle yeah. in changing behavior because that's in the end what you want it to do. Right. And I totally agree. Um, with, and I'm, that's why I'm so appreciative of the, the advancements and this, the progress that at least California is doing and pushing that, you know, that train ahead a little bit. Because when we were starting, there was no Cal Green. There was no code telling the builder, thou shalt do this. And it wasn't until that point that they said, oh, I guess we got to put in that faucet or do this or do that. And like, they're not going to do it. I mean, I'm not trying to bash builders. I work for builders. So I, I got to be nice. But they they have to control costs. And like you said, they have a business to run and then the business is to make a profit. I get it. But it wasn't until, like you just talked about, it wasn't until that rule or that law or that code told them, you know, do it this way now, or you know. And I'm glad that we have someone kind of pushing that, and I hope that more states follow suit. Do you see that kind of nationally? I know it's happening globally, but nationally, do you see 
kind of the bar getting inched up a little bit? Oh yeah, as I say, we're, we're, I'm working with Ashray, who writes the right. um, standard 189.1, which most people never heard of, but it is the basis for the Green Construction Code for CalGreen. And then CalGreen makes its own modifications, but that's the base document, and that's what I'm working on now. And because all the big industry heavyweights are there doing the things that they do, some of which have been very positive, I have to give them credit, but, but some of them are just sleazy. But anyway, eventually something will come out and it won't even appear to the public until many years down the road because that's how slowly things move. But um, And it'll be more watered down than we would have preferred. When we did the code in Marin County, we were acutely aware, it was our intent, that it that it go viral. I call it the gorilla building So code. that it couldn't be clipped and trimmed? So that everybody would have seen it in its... What do you mean by that? I mean by that, that we could write something with a little more bite, a little more impact, a little more actual effect on emissions mm -hmm. than we might have been able to do at a national level with an ANSI standardized process. And there's all these rules for how you write these things at, at that level. And all the big industry heavyweights are paying a lot of money to keep people in the room who are really good at hindering a process if, they, if that's what they think they need to do to serve their masters all the while looking like they're helping the process. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary <laughs> witness. You know, it's like they say about politics. It's like sausage making. You don't want to see it happening. And, and standards is politics. You, you, it's, it's, it's kind of ugly. So we could write something in Marin at a local level that was uh, less watered down and less uh, held up. And we could do it a whole lot faster than we could do it at the national level. And then hope that it would spread. The idea would spread. It would go viral, throw it out into the system and see if it goes. Oh. So I call it a gorilla yeah. building code with with both spellings of the word gorilla. <laughs> um, That's so cool. And it, it has worked. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is replicating uh, in, in many places, um, which, is, which is good generally, but people have to know what they're sure. doing. Uh, they can't just. They couldn't just adopt the Marin County Code where they are because we have numbers and limits that are based on the concrete industry in our right. area. It's different someplace right. else. But at least that little little town and little California town just kind of put that thing on the map, and now it's got some national attention. That's really cool, man. That's. I pitched it to our board of supervisors, saying we like to claim that we're the birthplace of hot tubs and mountain bikes. And so <laughs> This is finishing exactly. Out there you go. The world's first the, the trilogy building. Yeah, code. the Marin trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. So you're, uh, what are you doing these days that kind of gets you going and gets you passionate about waking up and getting going? Is it is it the advocacy stuff to kind of push that needle a little bit? Is it sharing your stuff with that? What do, what do you like to do? Um, well, I give a lot of talks. Um, um, in fact, I mean going to talk in your neighborhood, the hot and humid conference in uh, early May in Austin. And I won't be there. I won't be able to be there because I'm getting a new knee in a few weeks and I won't be able to travel there, but I'll be doing it by Zoom. And that sort of thing, a, a keynote thing where I, where I get to sort of wave my arms and nah, speak cool. the big picture, because I've been thinking about this for a long time. And it turns out some people are interested in hearing what I have to say <laughs> about buildings and, and our impact on the environment. And because I'm a been a structural engineer for over 40 years. 
I have some credibility. I, I have worked on a lot of buildings in a lot you of situations. You have the cred, bro. Made a lot right. of you can't and... hide from the credibility. It's there. you got it tattooed on your forehead, whether you like it or not. But we appreciate everything that you do. And so looking forward to hearing your words in Austin. I might not go, but I'm definitely going to hear the call. I definitely want to hear what you have to say. So, I, I, I love every chance I get to, to spread the word in. Working on policy is dreary. It's dreary That's, stuff. Yeah. But it's absolutely necessary. It's one of those. I do it because, you know, I'm committed in some Right. Do you, do you see people kind of behind you that you can kind of pass the baton to and say, okay, here you go, your turn? Because that's that's what I'm always on the lookout for. I'm, I, I love, like you, I love sharing it and inspiring and talking to others. But I am also looking at scanning the crowd who's kind of standing, you know, who's that next wave? Oh, yeah. I'm often, I, I get on calls to people working on carbon in buildings. Uh, I go to, used to go to meetings and I hopefully will be soon again and been Zoom calls. And I'm often the only man <laughs> in the room and I'm often the only guy with any gray hair in the room. It's it's a lot of young, not, no, it's, it's, it's far more women than there ever were in the past. Uh, in, and uh, it's predominantly women in their 30s and 40s and 20s uh, that I work with now. So there's no problem with people coming up behind me. I'm trying to keep up with <laughs> exactly. them. Exactly. They kind of push us along. They don't stop. Get up. You got another speech to do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always working to make sure I'm earning my keep here and they don't put me on the ice. So. <laughs> put you out to pasture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, th- no, it's, it's very exciting. There's a, there's a whole bunch of people. Uh, uh, my one of my projects at the moment is developing um, educational literature because there's there's no textbooks right yeah, now. Yeah, cool idea, cool. Um, in 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 undergraduate schools anywhere for carbon, not just. I mean, there's there's places where you can learn about energy and buildings for sure, um, but architects are are being taught. Uh, don't get me started. And engineers are just being, are still being taught. Structural engineers are being taught how to design using the materials and the mindset of the industrial revolution. And there's a certain dynamic pressure happening now in these schools because the the students are there. They know, they see the tsunami that's arriving in front of their faces and their teachers are going, oh yeah, you do the concrete like this and you make it a little bigger just to make sure and you put more rebar in there. Wait a minute. What about the emissions? Wow! And the it's like they keep rebuilding Humpty so, Dumpty uh, and putting them back on that wall, and just keep rebuilding and putting them back on the wall. Yeah. So, I, 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 my 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 job and my work is to, um, you know, I'm fascinated by how do you how do you get information to knowledge to wisdom to practice? How do you how do you get it out there? How do you get the right knowledge? into people's hands so that they can do the right things. The small practicing engineer in Des Moines, Iowa, or the small concrete supplier. And so this endeavor will help kind of, yeah. That's the intent is that we can produce some, and it's not even really textbooks anymore. Of course, it's like PowerPoint pitch deck. That's okay. But, you know, just to find the information, just to have it available is a huge step because we were scrambling trying to find information. It just wasn't out there, but there's been some years. Yeah, and everybody's so busy and we're all drinking out of the fire hose all the time anyway that, that, um, I mean, I know that if I could talk to a structural engineer, I could could spend half an hour, a lunch hour with them, and they'd get the gist of how to do low-carbon concrete. Right. Done. 
And then give them lots of references to if you want to read more, but they don't want to read a whole book. They want to just know, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to yeah. not do, yeah. etc. cetera. And um, it takes a certain style of writing that's backed up by a deep knowledge, but you give them the, you give them the right. bullet it's points. It's like the book gets smaller and smaller. The packaging has to get in this tight little box. And there you go. It's got to be digestible. Otherwise, they just pass them. Well, they have a great they have a great discipline in, in Silicon Valley. You know, I worked with some startups and with some venture capitalists, and um, you know, there's great mentality of of the of the of the elevator pitch and tell me in twenty five words what is it you're doing and what do you want to what do you want from me? And if you can't do it in twenty five words, go home and come back when you can. Um, which is a pretty valuable discipline. You really have to boil it down. What am I trying to say to people here? And uh, and my message is we can not only reduce the huge emissions of the built environment, but in fact, flip that around and turn it into a carbon healing machine, a climate healing machine that absorbs carbon and that we can build buildings that actually have absorbed more carbon in their lifetime than they ever emitted and become one of the repositories for the carbon we draw back down from the sky, which is what we need to do. And with that, I thank you, sir. Those are very profound words, and I hope everybody takes that to heart. Thank you so much, Bruce, for your time, um, and keep up the great work. I really appreciate it. And you're such an inspiration to us all, and we'll support you in whatever you do. So keep us up to date on everything. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. All right. Me. See you later. Take all care. Right. Bye, Bye now. Now.